Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Aaron Bjorklund. I'm your host for this episode, and Alex Walton, our lead pastor at South Fellowship, will be joining us in just a moment. And this week, we're talking a little bit about anxiety. Have you ever had this moment where someone said something to you in the past and it still haunts you today, maybe 10 years later, 20 years later, 30, 60 years later? Well, we're going to talk about that. And Or maybe it's something you did or said in the past and you're afraid if someone finds this out, my whole life and people will respect me less and maybe I'll get canceled or whatever. We're going to talk about all that on this episode and we're going to talk about how the way of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus is to be freed from those kinds of anxieties. So without any further ado, let's dive into this week's episode where we talk about anxiety that's rooted in the past. Uh, not all superheroes wear capes, or not all heroes wear capes, or whatever. Hello. Hello. We're live. <laughs> it's a weird start. It is a weird start. Well, the start I had planned was even weirder. <laughs> um, I was just going to be dancing. Oh, yeah. Because I have headphones, and I'm listening to the pre-show music, and yeah. Alex doesn't. So I'm always up here dancing, and he's just <laughs> staring at me like, what is he doing? So silent. Um, Behind every podcaster is another podcaster rolling their eyes. Yeah. Is that the official saying? Mm -hmm. Everyone says that. Yeah. People (laughs) were always saying that to me. So You know what they say. (laughs) A very common saying that happens all the time. Well, hello to the uh, Red Couch Theology Podcast. I am um, just double checking our audio here. We're good. I think we're good to go. Good. Splendid. We've worked most of the bugs out. Were you anxious about the audio? A little, <laughs> Still a little. Well, part of it is because uh, I'm compressing the heck out of my voice right now. And so I thought I was too quiet. And the answer is I'm never too quiet. You never, yeah, yeah. There's no, no scenario where you were too quiet. So I was like, um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. On today's episode, as Alex just so keenly, yeah, is about anxiety. Yeah. Specifically anxiety. In the past. And uh, so, yeah, why in the world would we be anxious? And we had this brilliant concept, I think, or I did at some point. I actually invited my friend to come talk about anxiety because he's qualified to talk about anxiety. Um, And then with all of the, he was like, yeah, we should organize that. And then with all of the busyness of Christmas and everything, it's now us unqualified people. I have two credit hours of counseling or psychology. I didn't even know I was supposed to be anxious about getting someone onto the show. <laughs> now I'm like really anxious. Just, I mean, it's just one of those moments where you're like, Do you know what? It'd be great to have someone who's an actual expert on this area. Just, you know, instead of you and instead, I. Instead, you get us. Yeah. <laughs> who are experts on nothing. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> we can tell you almost nothing. No, um, We can tell you something about almost everything. <laughs> Yeah, well, we can talk. Uh, we can talk about anything, <laughs> and the que- there's yeah. the quality of that content will be questionable. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yes, but if you've never listened to our show, these intros are the worst. I mean, people are like, "Why? How in the world did I end up listening to this podcast?" Um, but this last Sunday, let's try and like let's try and redeem this. We've just made fun of ourselves and told you basically that this content's going to be horrible. Um, but then we actually really do want you to listen a little bit. <laughs> just a little so, bit. Uh, this last Sunday, you started a new series uh-huh. called Overwhelmed. Yeah, and it's a three-part series. And you broke it down a little bit in the message where you said we're going to talk first about anxieties that sort of are rooted in the past. That was this last Sunday. Yep. So that's what we're talking about today. Yep. Then we're gonna, next week, we're going to be talking about um, anxieties rooted in the future mm-hmm. and then anxieties rooted in the present. So uh, there and, you and go. Really that is like, is, so, so what we said on, on, or I said on Sunday is, let's not pretend that this is clinical psychology, but there is spiritual elements to anxiety that, that Jesus speaks into and, and other biblical writers speak into. And so sometimes, sometimes what I can do is I can be like, well, this is the modern thinking on this. And I'm going to, I'm going to read Jesus through that light. And that's not how you read Jesus. Like if you read Jesus, believing he is who he said he is, then when he speaks on anxiety, he speaks authoritatively. And, and it's not that that might be easy to hear. 
and, and, and might not take some kind of translation work, but we can read Jesus and say, what do you have to say about anxiety? We can read what the biblical writers say and say, what do they say about anxiety? Uh, and so while there's this medical anxiety, this sense of there can be an imbalance in, in hormones and different things that create the sensation of anxiety, while there's been this incredible work on brain development and what anxiety, what's going on in your body when you get into a moment of fear and anxiety, all of these ideas around amygdala and hippocampus and, and how it's all processing with each other. And, and I was actually with a, a friend this morning who's on our elder board and he said, I feel like every book I read at the moment in a Christian world mentions the amygdala and the hippocampus the and everything. Prefrontal just, cortex. Prefrontal yeah, cortex. Yeah, yeah. They're all just, it's all there somewhere. Yeah. Um, Yet at the same time, when you read a text like Philippians and, and Paul, a follower of Jesus, say, do not be anxious. Yeah. What do you do with that? Especially when, when thinking about the world, <laughs> there's a lot to make you anxious. Yeah. So like this is the passage that you um, we pulled up the passage here that you taught on. It's got this line. Yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah. That's my translation. Do not be... <laughs> it's like, it's, it's not just do it. Yeah, it's don't just don't do yeah, it. Yeah, just don't do Anxiety, it. Anxiety, just don't do it. Stop it. Um, Stop do not anxious. be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, bring your things to you. And like part of what you talked about is uh, that's kind of an anxiety-inducing command. It's like, and it is a command. Yeah. It's in the imperative. So it's like, it has got a little bit of that force to it. Stop it. It does... It like it like linguistically in the sentence that's yes. where it sits and so you're like oh yikes that almost makes me more anxious to i'm trying not to be anxious you know yeah and, and so then there's a there's maybe a couple of approaches both probably wrong one is that we say well the the writer of this doesn't understand anxiety in the modern sense i'm going to ignore it the other one is this is a command that's just a simple obedience thing I'm going to I'm going to shut down my anxiety. That usually I think means I'm going to shout louder than my anxiety or find other things that shout louder. And and the tension is that maybe it can always shout louder than the noise that you create to so, block it out. Yeah, so it's like um it you, what you're maybe suggesting is this isn't something that you just put on your to-do list. Yeah. Don't be anxious, you know, put a little box but where you can check that's, it off. But that's that's maybe the temptation. It is. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, let's, let's talk about that. So now, specifically, we're going to do our best to not walk on our own toes <laughs> for the next, because we're going to be talking about this for several weeks. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about this last weekend, how there's a certain set of anxieties that are rooted specifically in the past. Mm. What do you mean by that? What kind of things in our past cause this anxiety today? Oh man, so so it's that's so broad, isn't it? Uh, and depending on your experience, it can be it can be something specific to you. I think there's been this helpful language, maybe of like of, of people have talked about big T truth and little T truth um, for a few years, and and maybe okay. more recently people have talked about big T trauma and little T trauma. So there's the trauma that anyone would find traumatic. Losing a parent at three, four years old is is traumatic for anyone. Yeah. But a particular breakup in a relationship could be more traumatic for you than for somebody else. You you could have this reflection point that you just can't shake. Um, yeah, or or like maybe uh, maybe if you're trying to like figure out, um, I don't think most of my anxieties are about the future or whatever. Like we'll talk about that next week, mm. but. Um, maybe if you're honest and you reflect back on your past, there's like a voice of a coach mm -hmm. or of a parent or of a teacher who said, are, you know, something along the lines of like, what are you just an idiot? Uh-huh. And that comment when you were seven, eight, five, 12, 14 years old, whenever it was, it like somehow still has power over you yes when you're 30 40 maybe 60 that's <laughs> totally. a yeah that's a thing so i actually worked with and for a guy who was exactly that scenario someone told him he was stupid when he was a teenager and and into his adult years still believed it about himself even though he was 
pastoring a huge community, was doing some pretty incredible stuff. God was using him in some pretty incredible ways. He, he talked about, no, that, that still lurks there in the background. That, that is, I mean, that fascinatingly, like little bit of a tangent is, is some of the creative power of speaking. So God creates through spoken word, we're told, and, and we actually do that for people through like, like, so you meet people that are actually objectively very attractive people that have been told that they're ugly uh, and they believe it. People that are intelligent people and have been told that they're stupid and they believe it. Um, there are all these different things that can be spoken over us that just never seem to go away. There's events that we experience that just, th th there's always going to be a present future element to even past anxiety because you experience it in the now. Yes. So, so I have this event happens in the present and it reflects back to me. Oh, remember that thing um, that happened before? Surely the same thing's going to happen again here. Surely, like you can't redeem that. And then there's all of the the different elements, like that that elements of our life that just feel can that be forgiven, forgotten? dealt with mm. like you, you just you end up living in the past um so i i was telling i was telling you the story right, right before we started i don't know you got that's your that's a you thing did this not go live what's oh, i don't know I don't it's just know. where's it says it's streaming to youtube hold on for a moment while we do, double do, check uh, do you want to, me to see do some elevator music yeah, you should do some elevator music. <laughs> it's just I'm gonna play. Some... Maybe I just need to refresh the page. Yeah, right. But it's like not showing up in our streaming list oh. of. Uh, Who's that guy uh, that plays the saxophone? You know what? what? It's just refreshing. Um, Who's the guy with the saxophone? We are live. Look at that. We just paused. Mid crisis averted. In <laughs> translation: There was no crisis at all. There was no crisis. I was just anxious about the past. Okay. No. About, the, about stupid decisions about I made in the past <laughs> about how I run this podcast. <laughs> sorry, you were like, he was saying something profound and I just looked down and didn't. All right, sorry, I totally derailed it with my anxiety. So we're listing an advertisement for a producer for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we planned all of it. This was all part of the plan to talk about anxiety and all these things. Uh, no, so you were. Yeah. I have anxiety now for the rest of the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. Um, so 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 I I have this weird story that that around my upbringing, I have this I have amazing parents, uh, both still wonderful, joyous childhood. Uh, I hate asking people for stuff, like I hate approaching people and saying I want to borrow this, or especially with money. Like I just I just don't do it mm -hmm. with anyone. Um. And like, just through my own processing, I, I had this, whatever, this recollection that came up of, of go, wanting to go skiing when I was 15. And my parents had found the money to, to let me go a couple of years before, didn't necessarily have it, but found a way to make it work. Uh, and I went to them and said, I want to go skiing again. And they said, we're going to have to pay for that yourself if you want to go. And, and so I did. And from what I can recollect, re recollect to this day, I've never actually asked them to borrow anything money-wise. Like they, they have chosen to offer at times, but, but for whatever reason, something in me now is totally linked to that. It's like, no, there isn't any more money to borrow. Like, and, and it's such a stupid example in some ways, but actually kind of like kind of a big deal in terms of like, well, what if I wanted to, I'd wanted to buy a house like three years before I did. Mm. They had the resources that they could have lent me. Um, I just never asked them. Um, yeah. So I have the, sort of an interesting story. Um, that's in like a weird way, like maybe it was six months ago or something. I was having a conversation with my mom and she then like partway through the conversation, she got really sort of like somber and stuff. And then she apologized for something she said to me when I was little. Um, and I didn't, I don't remember it at all. It's not a statement that haunted me, but she's been carrying this anxiety that it haunted me. Yeah. Um, and so for like, since I was like seven years old, my mom 
has been wondering if maybe I'm being affected by this comment. Yeah. And so she apologized for something that I have no recollection at and, all and about. And so interesting. And, then, how- and I, she was like, oh, like I just assumed that this was something that's been haunting you for your whole childhood. And I was like, I don't have a clue what you're totally. talking about. And, it, and it's so interesting how that like gets to us. Uh, maybe the most profound example I, I can think of. I, I had this teacher in school. And she was known as the cool teacher for religious studies, which you actually study in England. I don't think you're allowed to have religious studies classes here. But this teacher was, you know, she was like the, the, the cool teacher in the department. And she talked about what it must have been like to be Joseph finding out that his new wife was pregnant. And she made like this comment. She said like, like he was probably super mad. He was like looking forward to like the first time he got to be with her in that sense. And now someone else has, has jumped in first. And she, she told the class this, and we teenagers all thought this was like a brilliant way to think about the story. Uh, and, and, and I met her years later and, and mentioned this background to her. And she looked at me horrified. She was like, I, I would never have said that. Like, no, like that's, that's a terrible thing to say. And I was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like that, that was my recollection of it. But like, you know, if, if, if it didn't, she was like, no, no, that's, that's terrible. Like that's, that's, that's awful. And I kind of left it at that. And then about six months later, she got in touch with me and she was like, I just, I just, I feel terrible because I did say all of that and you were absolutely right. And I shouldn't have said it, but I felt awful for years about it. And I carried this thing. And then when you brought it back up, it was like this complete shame. And so I just lied and I just denied it. And it was like, she, I mean, this thing had been carried for, for like decades. Um, and, and my bringing it back up was like, was like a flood of, to make a person who's usually meticulous in telling the truth, like absolutely yeah. categorically, categorically deny it to the point that she, she made me go away thinking I was crazy. Yeah. Um, see, I mean, you think about like, that's something that's that small T trauma. It's not going to affect everybody. I'm sure I've told lies in the past that I just don't remember that don't bother me. Yeah. Um, but she remembered something that was deeply real to her. Yeah. So, so this is, that's one facet of, of anxiety. There are th- things that took place, things that were said or actions that were taken in the past that still cause anxiety mm-hmm. in the present. But we also have another example in our society today that might resonate for some other folks. And um, because we're dealing with culturally, this issue of cancel culture. And so can you unpack that? Like, you know, if you had this assumption that something you did in the past, oh, that's like the, the statute of limitation is, is far, far beyond over, yeah, yeah. cancel culture. Uh-uh. uh-huh. And, and that, that's, that's so fascinating, even just because of how much it shifted in the last 20 odd years. There's a movie um, that I love called Notting Hill. Uh, it's about a famous actress that falls in love with an everyday guy in London. And then they kind of break up or she kind of says, no, we can't keep this relationship going. I have a boyfriend. She goes back, comes back to London sometime later. And there's some pictures that were taken of her um, when she was younger. And she's horrified to find out like that, that the stories leaked about her being in London with this guy. And she's, she's like absolutely outraged. And he tells her, well, yesterday's news today's yesterday's newspaper lines today's cat litter box. Like it doesn't matter in the perspective of all things. Like, why does it matter what was in yesterday's newspaper? Mm. And she says, Don't you understand? I'll regret this forever. Like those newspapers will always be available to people. Like, so so this idea of council culture was present to a few people in a particular way beforehand and that was paper but that was paper so so you had to want to get hold of that paper you have to go to the library Uh go through some catalog and look like through a little screen thing like an idiot totally yeah exactly it was an intense process (laughs) you you had to be really committed to this like detail yeah um and now it's just so accessible so so if you're under a certain age your life has been documented 
since your early teenage years. And I don't know how you reflect on your teenage years. I did some really stupid stuff in my teenage years. Like I actually remember, like like we we a group of my yeah. You should tell us all the stories yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. A no. group of my friends were like really like like against people from different ethnic backgrounds coming to England. So like that was the big like drive of like no English for the English people. So so I nearly got a British bulldog tattooed on my arm with a British flag like at 14, 15 years old. And you reflect back now and you're like, what was that? Like that wasn't who I am. Like almost this intrinsically it, it racist, yeah. Thing. It wasn't even really who I was then, let alone like who I am now. So so you 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 even can reflect in your own life, learn others elements of like teenage years that that aren't who I am. And now we'll see all these stories where someone will dig up something from someone's past and say, no, this defines them in a particular way. Uh, and and based on that, everything else that they've done is now worthless. Um, and, and, and some of them are the most ridiculous examples. I, there was one that I saw the other day that just, that just got me deeply frustrated because it was so old and so ridiculous that I was like, can you honestly tell me this encapsulates anything about this person today? Yeah. But to a certain element of society, no, it definitely does. So I saw this clip of probably a slightly inappropriate uh, comedian. I can't, um, off the top of my head, I can't remember his name, but he's like pretty edgy. Um, but he was talking about cancel culture and he's he's like, it's. he was talking about how it's hysterical to him that um, people will be like, go back eight years and like find something and then try and cancel them. They're like, you had to go back eight years to find when this, and he's a little bit more colorful language <laughs> to find out when this guy was a complete idiot and yeah. jerk or whatever. Um, he says, that's amazing. That guy's a, a brilliant. The fact that he hasn't been a jerk publicly in totally. eight years. It's impressive. Yeah. That's yeah. so impressive. And, uh, you know, he used a lot more colorful language, but that's but, yeah. kind of the thing. The reality of it is like, yeah, we all have our broken moments, but now all those broken moments can be instantly broadcast to the entire world via a cell phone or a video or whatever. And now maybe for some of you, you might be like, well, I'm not famous, so no one cares to pull out their cell phone and broadcast my stupidity. Well, there's a lot of like videos out there of just everyday people who who get road rage and then they suddenly end up on a YouTube video that goes viral because they were screaming at someone or whatever. And so it's not just famous people that get this to, ha to happen to them. And um, the whole like your social media profile, like you went out drinking with your friends and this sort of thing, you did this stupid thing and then you posted about it eight mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah, that can be just drummed up, and I, and I don't know what the heartbeat behind it is always, but I, but I, I wonder like anxiety and how it relates is maybe this. So I, th I think we see now people want to tear down heroes to the point that there's almost none of them left. Mm. Um. So so I'm going to throw a history reflection for just a second. History like, moment with yeah, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. 1789. There's the French Revolution. And, yeah. and 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 what happens in the French Revolution is basically the the monarchy is torn down, kings are torn down to the level of um, of of peasants of everyday people. There can be nobody above me. That's one one type of revolution. And then there's Napoleon, that comes maybe fifteen twenty years after. And then there's his revolution. And that is that a servant or a peasant can become an emperor. It's a completely different way of thinking about a, rev a revolution. One uh. pulls kings down to the level of common man. Another one elevates common man to the level of kings. Uh, and, and that's the reason that Napoleon was adored by France in a way that the other revolutionaries weren't. Yeah. Because he, he said, no, anybody can be anything, um, which is quite a miraculous thing, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can read Mount of Monte, uh, Count of Monte Cristo maybe to get some of this time frame, right? Yeah, yeah, that would that would be yeah, that would have yeah. some of those elements, uh, and and so to to a certain degree, like that's what council culture does. It says nobody's above anybody else. Nobody's completely squeaky clean. There's everyone's always something idiot. to reflect on. Everyone's broken, and and the danger is that you have no heroes left eventually. Uh, and so we, we, I think we were talking about this the other day. Someone in a sermon context said, 
Um, someone quoted Bill Hybels, who was the pastor of Willow Creek, uh, and, and, and resigned over what some people would say was inappropriate, which was inappropriate behavior. Yeah. There was a whole brokenness to how he oversaw people and the situations he put people in. But the specific reference was, how can you quote a sex offender? Which I, may be a questionable definition of Bill um, and, and who he is and was. So, so then the question that someone else, else asked in return is, well, what about King David? Like unquestionably some behavior that's completely unacceptable. Sex offender and murderer. Yeah. And yet the most quoted person by Jesus yeah. in the New Testament, the most quoted person in many churches outside of Jesus and maybe Paul. Um, wh where's the line between like when there's a redemption, when there's not a redemption? What does repentance look like? What does not repentance look like? The, the, there's a blurring there of like what's acceptable. Yeah, um, which we could go down an entire rabbit hole of biblical interpretation where it comes to like narrative. Are you supposed to like act like these characters yeah. or not act like these characters? Like, why am I reading this story? Who's the hero? And like, that's yeah. an interpretive challenge when it comes to Old Testament narrative and Old Testament character development. Because you're, you're constantly saying like, some of these people are pretty dang shady. Yes. And I don't know what to do with some of that stuff. And what do you do and... when sometimes it seems like God works through the shadiness? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes he, yeah, he, you know, Jacob, is, 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 his name is shady. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. and in the midst of that, he is blessed and his family heritage is blessed. Um, so, so a whole, as you say, a whole rabbit trail. I think the the, Dane, the implication mentally for us in, in cancel culture and some of the language pieces we just used is the past is never forgotten. Especially in our day today. Uh, and, and yet that's completely contrary to the Jesus story, uh, which yes. says your past can be forgiven. It can be wiped out. Now, there may be consequences for it still, sure. I mean, there's, there's elements of like the there's a cost to following Jesus, all of those different elements. But, but this idea of, of forgiveness and forgottenness, that I love that passage in Isaiah where it talks about, you know, like uh, as far as from the, the East is from the West, he has removed your sins from you. He has buried them in the sea of his forgetfulness. So, um, okay, well, um, does God actually forget? So, so that seems the implication of the text, right? He chooses not to remember is maybe another way of saying it. Huh. Uh, I mean, the, there's, there's that beautiful little cliche story of like, and a cliche, but also wonderful. There's a story about an archbishop in, uh, in Russia who there's this little girl who theoretically says she hears directly from God. Um, and, and this little girl's kind of introduced to him and he, he doesn't really buy it. And so mm -hmm. he wants to test it out. And, um, he says like, well, well, if you hear from God, like, I want you to go and ask him what I confessed to him at my confession time yesterday morning. Um, or this, yeah, yeah, yeah this morning. And the, the little girl goes away and prays and comes back and looks at him and says, he says he doesn't remember. Um, and, and like actually theologically potentially very profound, yes. um, the, the, there, there is this complete blotting out an unreadableness of our sins. I mean, that seems like the implication of, of some of the things Paul, Paul writes, yeah. like, you know, he, he blotted out the transgressions listed against us. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, I mean, maybe I'm asking for a friend. Um, uh, you know, cause I actually, and I, maybe this is just a theological correction that will happen live on this show. Um, I actually, one of the more comforting realities to me is, um, or maybe it's not even a reality, but I think him knowing every single thing and choosing to love me anyways is actually this this different kind of freedom. I almost prefer that over him just forgetting about the stupid things. It almost like 
accentuate. So my question, Mark, and maybe we don't have probably don't have time on this podcast. Are you to saying do an that entire... your theolog- theological revelation on this podcast is God loves you less than you thought? Yeah, that sounds like a yeah, like revelation. you just forgot about all the like if you remembered all the stupid things. Like he's like, oh yeah, I remembered this one, but I I forgave it, forgave it. Like he's only forgiving one sin at a time. Uh huh. Then that doesn't feel quite as powerful to me as if he's like, oh, I remember all this yeah. stupidity and I love you anyway. So, so it must be, it must be. Is it a metaphor? Like I, I've always taken that as this powerful, yes, beautiful, yes, a wonderful metaphors for how the emotion is of like, that's how deeply mm. he forgives. Yeah, but does he genuinely of- forget any of those things? Um, maybe the danger of metaphor though is that it's always better than the thing that it's a metaphor of or whatever so yes. so and it, and the re- part of the reason I, it popped in my head is where you took the message on Sunday uh-huh. um, or part of where you took the message on Sunday was this little nugget in the passage itself which we'll pull up right here I, you actually connected this are you saying I was inconsistent in my theological... No, 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 no not no, at no. all. No, but why is the nearness of God reduce our anxiety? What is it about his nearness that reduces our anxiety? Um, and I was thinking, like, it's this tremendous love, this commitment, this... this. Um, so, so you read it like this. The Lord is near, almost there. And I loved your translation. I, I probably should have pulled it up for this episode, but you did an alternate, like your, an Alex's translation of it. Um, it's, it's the, the Lord is here, part, right? it's therefore do not be anxious about anything. So what is, is it about God's proximity that has the ability to reduce anxiety um, from the past and all the things we've been talking about? Yeah, I, I think I think it... Um... So in the in the example we looked at in scripture, like it, it seems like um, Joseph is willing to look at his past and see God's presence at least retrospectively, even if he couldn't see it at the time. Um, yeah. And that that that's reflected in that delightful yet somewhat cheesy footprints um, poem, which is a man walking down a beach and he sees you know there's the footprints that represent his life and. His question is, why is there only one set of footprints at the hardest time? And and the answer back is, well, of those times, it's just my footprints. I was carrying you. And yeah. and, I, and I don't know that, I think John Goldengay, that theologian, said, I'm not sure God ever really carries us, um, but but he's always present with us. Yeah. So, so I think that the presence makes a difference for whatever reason. And so for um, me, that's why uh, that's why that resonated so much with me as you're talking about it is there's something so comforting and I, I maybe I'll give you a different illustration uh, r- related to marriage and there's something comforting to me about God knowing all of my stupidity mm. and choosing not to cancel me mm. like that guy is an idiot and mm. I, but I also see all of his potential all of the gifts that I've placed in him all of the plans and and dreams that I have for him to participate in my kingdom, and I delight in him. Now, and I think one of the things I've told many people about marriage that's the most beautiful thing is this is usually a person that knows you're an idiot more than anyone else on the planet, <laughs> and then they stay. Yeah. This is what, this is the biggest travesty of the breaking of covenant. Mm is a person choosing not to stay once they find out how big of an idiot you are, Mm. is if you can make it past that phase of like the many stupid things the person does and you stay true to that covenant, there's like this safety net of like, I can be the biggest idiot possible and this person still loves me. It doesn't, it confounds the mind Mm. almost more than any other thing. And And that's why Paul says it's a illustration of Christ in the church, I think. So I don't know. Th- th- a, yeah, there's my case for yeah, he remembers yeah, and, and our and sin. I, I find a lot of joy in that. I, I think my <laughs> my perception of of God's forgetfulness has been uh, has been unbounded belief in me and what I can become, okay. not colored or tinged by past performance. So so there's and and maybe how I would define it. I remember when my grandmother died. I was I, I led part of her funeral service, uh, and I 
I remember saying to my other, to my cousins, there's something wonderful about parental love, which tends to come with a bunch of awareness of your flaws and something wonderful about the love of a grandmother who doesn't tend to see flaws in you. Um, that there was huh. like this, like this, this optimism of, uh, you know, I, I remember one. He's the smartest that he never makes any mistakes. And, and, All I ever see is yeah. these cute pictures of him. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I had a particularly <laughs> close relationship with my, my grandmother. And I was also my, my mom was her only daughter and I was her first kid. So that, that's a particular position to have. And, and I have this distinct memory once of, of being in a store and, and my brother walked in front of me and I intentionally ran the shopping cart into the back of his heels and he crumpled on the floor. And I remember my grandma yelling at him for getting in the way of the shopping cart. And, and then, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it was just unique yeah. to me or whatever, but yeah, I just like, great. I just, I, you I, could do no wrong. Yeah. It felt like that. <laughs> um, like it felt like there was this complete belief that wasn't tinged by past performance. It was obviously your brother's fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was always much worse at hiding bad behavior than I was. Um, so, I, the, the, I'm intrigued now. I want to go back and read some of those passages. And, and certainly there's a distancing that's supposed to be reflected in terms of like a choosing to not hold against you anymore, even if there's a memory of it. Totally. Um, and I, I, I don't honestly... This isn't the context to do maybe an exegetical and theological Dude. study of it, but, which is why I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. So, like, so an, even as I'm an, saying an, it, an I'm like, but. An analogy I would think I would use for whether it's a complete forgetting, and God obviously, it seems, has complete control over his memory in a way that we don't. It's certainly a putting out of reach in terms of... This is, this is a thing you see in married couples all the time. I would own to doing this at times. You kind of hold something in reserve. So you, you see a married couple get into an argument and it very quickly goes from like, well, you didn't do the dishes last night to like, yeah, well, remember like 10 years ago when we were in Paris and you did this thing where you like, uh, and it's like, oh, I've been holding that up for a while. Like my, my wife will occasionally call me out on like, if I say something too quickly in response to something, she's like, okay, you were holding that, weren't you? You were ready with that one. Like it just, yep. it's like, it's like on the tongue. So, so the difference between god's interaction with us and our brokenness in the past like there's these actions that we can take or even actions other people have taken against us that creeps into our present and causes us anxiety there and this whole conversation of uh cancel culture i, I think one of the differences is god has all the context mm -hmm. he has all the variables mm -hmm. at play when he considers who we are and yeah. our actions and cancel culture is that's the biggest one of the biggest problems with it mm -hmm. is it doesn't factor in the way that person's transformed. Mm -mm. It doesn't factor in whether they were inebriated or not being nope. inebriated or un, under the influence or or uh, wounded by another person or 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 God can factor all those different variables in. And that's actually one of the things that makes this idea that the nearness or the presence of God actually has the ability to release us from some of anxieties tentacles is because um if you've ever had this feeling like if they if if they only understood what i actually meant then they wouldn't have taken yes, it this totally, way yeah. or if they they didn't realize that i was i'd stayed up all night and i was a jerk that day because of this stressor mm -hmm. or i just lost my job or someone said this mean thing to me and that i didn't get enough sleep and then i got up and i or 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 or, or like we have all more context God has all that context. Yeah, and so yeah, when yeah. he sees us being stupid, he's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's still not right, yeah. but I can, I can, he, his heart can engage us in a different way. Yeah. The, 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 the scary thing about cancel, cancel culture is the implication that the, that the all knowing internet is very judgmental of us. And it's really not all knowing. No. And it's really or not it's all selectively knowing. knowing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and, and, the beauty of the Jesus story is that, and we sing that song and, and we sing it this Sunday, actually, I can't remember, but the bridge is something like the one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. Mm -hmm. um, there's an incredible element to that, to, yep. to, to see all of the inner workings and the ways that even when I'm being good, I've got a bunch of hidden motives. Even when I'm treating people well, 
there's a bunch of selfishness undercurrent. He sees all of that and and is is devotedly committed to my formation, redemption, um, and and for me in a, in a beautiful way. The potential for cancel culture, cancel culture, is it tells us the more you know, the more judgmental you are, um, and mm-hmm. and the Jesus narrative is the opposite to that. Yeah, or you are. Every person becomes the sum of their worst decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in cancel culture, and um, now maybe reflecting back on we we started the conversation with this idea of uh, some of the actions that cause us anxiety weren't things that we do mm-hmm. did. Yeah. So is what we're talking about now a way of one help towards forgiving them? Everything that uh, they aren't, everything that person is that said that thing to you isn't summed up in that one comment that they Mm. made to you either. Just like you would hope that some comment, I, God, Lord, please let, some of the comments I've made to my own children not be the summation of who I am as a father. Mm -hmm. Now it might be, there might be, my kids might be sitting in counseling in 20 years saying, my dad said this one thing to me. And like, I might've been incredible, like 80%, 90% of the other times, but there are times when I've said things and I'm like, Lord, please give them sanctified forgetfulness of this one comment. It's got the potential to nudge you towards greater forgiveness, right? I I jokingly tell my mom this story about how I remember my uh, my sister falling out the car. She opened the door and fell on the floor. And um, and I wanted to be grown up and I'd heard, she was five years younger than me, and I'd heard my mom and dad use this phrase that just like seemed really grown up and important. Uh, something went wrong, they'd be like, oh, my fault. And everyone would be like, oh, no, no, it wasn't your fault. Don't worry about it. Like, you, you know, you, we, it's okay. And so my sister fell out the car. I wasn't even near her. And I went, oh, my fault. And my mom lit me up. Like she (laughs) literally like lit me up. Um, And so I've always joked with her about just how traumatic that was. Uh, You know, for some reason when I was a kid and I used this phrase, uh, it was my fault. It didn't get the same response as as when a (laughs) grown-up used it. So from now on, you're never claiming fault, even if it was. Uh, And then you become a parent. And you yeah. realize like you're dashing around trying to get kids in and out of cars, trying to keep everyone safe, trying to make sure. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a moment where a child injures themselves and it's scary and it's all those different things. And like, yeah. Yeah. Well, why were you doing that? What was the, your responsibility? So, so you totally understand retrospectively seeing your own flaws and the own, your own ways that you've done things like that hopefully makes you more gracious with others. And then the difficult part of the Jesus narrative is that even with trauma, there's this nudge towards forgiveness. Um, You might even call it a sharp shove towards forgiveness because we become aware of the constant ways we've needed God to forgive us. Um, And and we, I remember, I mean, I remember a, a deep theological debate in seminary around does God ask us to forgive those that haven't asked forgiveness um, of us? Mm-hmm. The, the professor's implication was if he does, he asks us to do something he refuses to do. Um, like for, for us to be forgiven by God, we have to ask is the implication of the gospel. And he said, and, and, and his question was, so, so if God's expectation is I forgive randomly ad hoc everyone who's ever hurt me, who's not asked for forgiveness. God doesn't do that. Why should I? Um, Mm. And so like the fascinating bit of detail there. We could go on a whole nother Uh, conversation about that. I don't don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't know. I I had that conversation 20 years ago. I still don't know how I feel about it. it. It does definitely reflect in other ways, regardless of whether you have to forgive it's a good journey mainly because of how damaging unforgiveness is to us. Yeah. So God's longing for us is our freedom. Yeah. That age old Um, concept of unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that when you do forgive you, you open a prison and realize you were the prisoner. Um, Yeah. So, so I think that there is, 
regardless of whether you think there's an implication, th there is definitely a uh, a sense that the analogy is no, this poison's not for you, and this prison's not for you. Um, it's t it's time to put the poison down. It's time to walk out of the cell. So so could you give um some really practical specifically related to past anxiety are there any really practical uh tips tricks that you can think of um one is we've been by imp or by inference we haven't stated explicitly but meditating on the pre the continual mm. presence of god is one yeah but like are, are there some other ex well, ideas well, that, that you've and, had? and to continue that joseph story i mean joseph and and we covered his story arc briefly in the sermon. He he not only is willing to see God present, but he's also willing to see, no, this is the benefit. This is why this is the story is now better because of that journey. Um, so somewhere for him, there was ways that he could see God at work, not just present, but actively at work in, in what happened. Mm. And that unlocks something for him. Now, what, what that means when you don't see God's presence, but, I, but I've always been amazed at how my own, little t trauma and i wouldn't describe myself as having major traumas in my life but but things that have been the, that have left their scars the ways that those have been used to help other people through similar journeys have always amazed me uh, and and make them make it very hard to fully regret them mm. like you were, and, and that's the hard thing and we'll talk about this as we little nudge towards future anxiety for, especially for parents, I think I find a lot of future anxiety is based around what will happen to their children. Yeah. Um, and so, so for, for whatever reason, it seems to be easier for us to say, I am who I am because of my story. And even in the painful parts, God was present and he's used it. We almost desire for our kids to have no stories. Yeah. Because that's going to be better, right? Um, and yet, it seems like, no, they need their own stories. They need their own afflictions. They need their own woundings. And, and someone once said to me years ago around working with, with students, the hardest thing about working with students is their parents want them to be safe. And Jesus wants them to be alive. <laughs> and those aren't always the same thing. Wow. Um, so <laughs> so I, I now get to sit in that as a parent of a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 4-week-old. Yeah. And and say all the ways that I wanted them to be alive. <laughs> uh, now I definitely get the safe feeling. Yeah, absolutely. But but somewhere seeing seeing God at work in the story and now working through your story. Um, almost everyone that I know who's a great counselor has some baggage, um, some hurts from the past. Almost everyone I know that speaks into people's lives in a profound way has experienced some of that same mm. thing. I mean, you, th you think about like someone like Kevin Butcher who comes to South and has spoken yep. of shame, who's experienced shame. And now when you hear him speak on it, you're kind of yeah. like, oh, that, that, that's a different voice into that. And, and I couldn't have brought that voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's this, I don't know who coined it, but that, that term wounded healer. Uh-huh. That's there's a reason that that's such a powerful idea. Is there is this extra strength and power that someone has if they're if they've been wounded themselves, they're able to engage with the healing of another in a in a more unique, tender, and, and empathetic way. And I think that's where we left Sunday, right? Like like the the thing that really got me about the past anxiety, the the real tension point for me is. This isn't healing from that is not necessarily a journey you can walk alone, but only you can choose to begin the journey. So, so, so a desire to say that the, the past is what it is. It is not changeable. But yeah, it, it's less changeable than the future. Yes, totally. It's, it, it, it's the thing happened and it might've been wrong. It might've been traumatic it's possible it should never have happened. And there might be consequences for the person that did it. But a decision to say, as Joseph did, like, I'm going to recognize that God was more present than the offender. Um, and I'm going to choose to, to heal with him in it and use it for good is, is almost the ultimate victory there. Um, yeah. And, 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 and almost like, yeah, it, it is the pathway we're invited to choose. 
and, and it might take loads of people walking with you in years of journeying, but but only you can choose to begin it. No one can start you on that. Yeah, and so maybe this is just the invitation um, to to start that journey. Yeah. Like if there's still things from your past that are haunting your today, oh, the way of Jesus is an invitation to start dealing with mm-hmm. it. Now, what Alex said in the beginning was sometimes that's going to require some real professional help. Um, and it's like just meditating on something isn't going to necessarily be enough for everyone. Um, it's it's a step. Meditating on the presence of God in those moments mm-hmm. is a step. Um, and actually, I think some, some counselors I, I know do that. Like I know... There's uh, uh, a practice that a counselor had uh, a friend of mine go through multiple times where they were reflecting on these different traumas, and they said, okay, now I want you to go back and picture that moment and that trauma, but I want you to, where's Jesus? Mm -hmm. And so to relive the trauma in one sense, but then uh, remind themselves that God was present and he was weeping with and transforming and using all of it, that was actually a a professional counselor's practice for someone. And so, but all that said, we don't know what, which one it is. Does it need to be professional? Does it need to be uh, a community that you go to and share some of these things? I want to get beyond these. Is Mm. it a prayer practice? Is it all of these things combined probably for a lot of us, but the invitation of Jesus is um, to start that journey. And, yeah, to get and, and that is such a good journey to take. And, and that's the, the new and old Testament are full of characters that, that walked that journey too. And yeah. churches at South is full of people that have walked that journey and are walking. Uh, yeah. And are walking that journey. And, Anything and, else? Yeah. No, onto future. Onto next future. Week. Next week, we're going to talk about all the things that freak us out about the future. Our ability <laughs> to build cataclysmic futures and the, the, the horrible ability <laughs> The, the complete human inability to predict the future. Mm. So we'll talk about some of the ways that we've tried and some of the ways that that's just is nonsense. And wow. so what does that I'm mean? I'm anxious about it already. <laughs> great to see you guys. Yeah. Well, great to be with you guys and not to see you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you. if you have questions for us for next week's episode, um, you can find the phone number on this coming Sunday's sermon and if you're at south watch out it'll be a slide you can there'll be a slide and i don't know the number off the top of my head so you're gonna have to wait to 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 find that but yeah 303 like comment things that are helpful especially on itunes yes those all even if you watch on youtube go to itunes find the podcast yes and give us some stars yes you can choose how many because otherwise we will be deeply anxious in the future Because of the ways that we you heard us in, in the, the past. past in and the past. And, and no, 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 we're going to ramble now. Right. Okay, love you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, thanks again for listening. And we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.